Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I just had to delay Benji by a full 10 minutes because I was watching the end of the uh, Big Bash game. That meant nothing to him. may mean something to you depending on where you're listening to this from. Probably not if you're in mainland Europe. Uh, Try to explain how the game worked a bit to Benji and he just wasn't buying in. But anyway, today we're talking about Trek, Sega, Fredo, uh, reviewing their 2020 season briefly, then looking at some of their transfers, not too many, and then I guess previewing what we expect from them in 2021, selecting the teams we would pick for the various races. Obviously, we're still shooting in the dark, the Giro parkour, and I guess saying what we think would be a good result for them in 2020 or a bad result in 2021 rather. And I think this is a bit of a team in in flux and it's maybe got some some riders who aren't performing at the level that Trek Segafredo would have expected them to. Sometimes it seems to be out of their control com- completely. But how do they go in 2020, Benji? And what's your opinion on whether that was a past season or not? They actually started off the season pretty well. They ended up winning Santa Stuart and Under again with Richie Board. They are lost the f- infamous Willinger Hill stage, which was know. A, that is fake news. But um, on. a real bummer. But um, or did the after that we saw. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Um, then Moschetti ended up winning two sprints against the likes of Ackermann in the likes of Mallorca. Yep. We ended up seeing Steven really be one of the stronger cobble riders in the. Uh, pre-season, pre-COVID, and that was only shown by him winning Omlope in the end. And basically, outside of Tudizalp team, no real other great results before we ended up with the COVID past. But afterwards, they restarted. They focused a lot into uh, two aspects. They had, first of all, the cobbles and just the sprints with mainly Mess Pedersen really uh, showing stuff for the team. And then they had the Italian Brigade, together with Molema, sent to all the Italian classics, and eventually also Nibali to the Giro and such. To be honest, I think you can agree as well that that Italian classics portion didn't really go as planned. The likes of Nibali, Ciccone, and Molema, they should have at least have been able to take one of these home, in my honest opinion. And I think Ciccone really disappointed in the first few races, but we could use the excuse of him that he was indeed contracted by uh, COVID. No, he no, contracted COVID. I think it was he, <laughs> yeah. he had some sort of nose issue, like his septum or something, and he couldn't. He literally couldn't breathe out of his nose. And obviously, uh, even if you're breathing out of your, in and out of your mouth, if you can't breathe out of your nose at all, like that was cost. Yeah. That costs you like ten percent of the oxygen you can get in. Um, I'm not a doctor nor a scientist, but. That's what he said in an interview. So, and it makes logical sense. So he says he says that's fixed now, but that was plaguing him throughout the season. I remember, it, as Benji said, I think this is a team divided up in almost three. Well, last year three lines, maybe not three lines uh, this year. 
it's obviously, as you said, the cobblers uh, and the sort of engines pe- led by Pedersen, Sturvin, Edward Turns, Hurst, uh, Cone de Court, un- probably the most underrated sprint train when they got it all working. Uh, Moschetti was quite nice. But then, yeah, and then they had the Italian portion. And then they had Richie Port last year who overperformed third in the Tour de France in a very, very competitive high-level Tour de France. I still think that he, yeah, he's, if he was on any other team next year, he'd still be capable of uh, contesting a, a podium. So let's go into those transfers, Benji, which is the big one, Richie Port leaving. Peter Veening and Will Clark retired. They're the other two outgoing, other two of the three outgoing riders. But how much would you? I mean, it's Ineos, so I'm assuming that a Port's familiar with the setup. B, I'm assuming they're paying handsomely if he's willing to just go back to be a domestique. Maybe he's happy to have the pressure taken off. Go be a domestique at Ineos. You get a big bonus if you're a domestique at Ineos and they win the Tour de France. I understand through the grapevine. Do you think if he was on Trek, Benji, or another team, uh, like I don't know, a reasonably capable team, do you think Port would be capable of another Grand Tour podium next year, given the TTKs in some of those Grand Tours? Yeah, on paper he would, and I think the Tour de France 2021 really fits him on that as well. So if he was in leader position for sure, then he might have an opportunity of bringing that home. But at Ineos, that's going to be um, more difficult. We said that in our Ineos spot. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. It's on uh, podcast platforms and on YouTube of us. Now, regarding that transfer, I feel like it kind of beheaded their whole GC plan at Trek Segafredo because, well, Richie Port leaves. Nibali is their only top-notch GC rider and saying top-notch is thinking about a few years ago because I'm a hardcore Nibali fan. I'm a, I'm a pure stan and I'll support him through thick and thin, but I don't believe he has an option on any podium this year for a Grand Tour. Last year in the Giro, he showed that he's not up there with the bests and he just generally seems to not have it anymore. I, uh, as a fan, hope that that's not the case, but I see it extremely unlikely that he's podiuming a Grand Tour in 2021. Now, he mentioned already that he's going to be going to a lot of races this year, Giro, Tour, and Olympics, if he can. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. And Wait, really? We still don't know. If, yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. And um, he's on paper, according to some articles, leader in that, and according to some other articles, he's going to leave the pressure behind and take it on more relaxed because his training was not optimal due to COVID. But I have no clue whether one or the other is going to be right because Longo, his uh, his coach, never really is honest about anything regarding training Nibali. So at the end of the day, we don't know anything until he actually starts the race and then we see whether he can actually perform or not. Now, um, I don't believe in a podium by Nibali. That's straight up my opinion. I think that Molema has a better chance of doing so. Yep. And um, I think that the issue there is that Molema is probably better off going for one-day races, knowing that he's won quite a few in his history already and can win more. I think he won both in Lombardy and San Sebastian at some point. Correct. Yeah, so and, uh, I, I agree that really there's no, no one on this team that's shouting out as a GC candidate um, in terms of well, if the Giro's got Lander, Buchmann, Bernal and a whole host of other characters going, 
that's going to be very strong and Nibali's going to struggle there. Mollema as well, probably. Although Mollema's, I don't know, he's 34 now as well. Vuelta, who knows? But clearly the best rider on the team is Mads Peterson. I think he's shoulders and above better than everyone else on the team. Next best rider, probably probably Sturvin, but he's only 28 years old, Benji. For some reason, I yeah. thought he was like 33. You know, Sturvin's <laughs> only 28. So... Unlike some of the other previews we've done, aka uh, Astana and Kofidis, their cobbled squad is, would you say, top five in the world, Benji? Because I, I think so, because I think uh, I think Quinn Simmons is is legit one of the going to be a top class one day rider in cobbled races. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think that the team overall is just strong. They've got Peterson leading it, they've got Steven Turns, which is. Riders that could win a couple of reigns if they're on their day. Turns less likely than the other two, to be honest. I um I don't believe in turns as much as I do in Steven and and your boy Miss Pedersen. Outside of those Alex Kirsch. Kirsch is supportive. He yep. was very strong in smaller Belgian races and such in the previous years and also led those for the team and for uh Wallonie Bruxelles, I think, where he was at in the past. Also, um I think the likes of Emil's Lippens can also do cobbles. There, there's just so so much support surrounding it, and they don't need to be extremely strong to support them in the cobbles because their their trident, as Movistar likes to call it, is uh is looking good as well. So, yeah, cobble team very strong, definitely up there with the best. And um, the benefit of that is that it's basically identical to their sprint team, right? Yeah, pretty much. And we'll talk. And well, we'll talk about it now. Apparently they're going to have Mads Pedersen as the sole sprinter next year in sprint stages. They're not going to do the weird rotation thing anymore, which we disagreed Finally. with at the time. Clearly Pedersen is the quickest, uh, still underrated as a, as a pure sprinter. He, yeah, he was responsible for victories in Tour de Pologne, Stage 2, Bing Bank Tour, Stage 3. They were bunch sprints, I believe. And then Gen Wevelhem, that was a reduced bunch sprint against Seneschal, but then also at the Tour de France, second in stage one. And then was it second on Champs-Élysées as well, Benji? Yes. Off a not ideal sit, I don't think. So Pedersen, I think, has legit speed. Um, I'm glad they've made that decision to just go we are all in for him. But the incoming transfers, which I don't think we've rounded out, Jakob Eggholm and Matthijs Skelly. Gielmoza Jensen, two Danes from Hagens, Berman, Axion and Leopard Pro Cycling, respectively. Um, I don't have too much to read on them. They haven't really won too much or done too much crazy. I think they're one-day guys, if I'd had to take a guess. Uh, Antonio Tiberi from Team Colpac, we've already mentioned that team, good, strong feeder team. He's uh, He won the Men's Junior Individual Time Trial in 2019. He's a very strong rider. And you may think, oh, men's junior individual time trial 2019. I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, that was actually quite a strong crop of riders. He beat Brenner. He beat Quinn Simmons. He beat Piccolo. He beat, uh, I think, Finn Fisher Black. So my, maybe one of the garrisons. I can't remember. But, like, that was a pretty pretty good TT from Tiberi. And I think he got some pretty good results in 2020. Like, he... I think he won an Italian U23 race. He came 
what was it, third in uh, baby Giro stage, I think. So he seems to be actually worthy of a, a World Tour contract, and he got a two-year deal at Trek. The other rider is uh, Emmanuel Gebregs Gabir, uh, the from NTT. He's not actually that old either. So I think that's a pretty good signing as well. He's I mean, awesome. Yeah, I think he's actually could do really well at Trek. I mean, Eritreans, yeah. he's on a two-year deal. He's only 26, mixture of a sprint, GC, sort of climber guy, just a really nice style of rider. Um, and I'd like to see him in some Grand Tour breakaways for them. But what, what's your read? Do you, do you really like any of those transfers, Benji, or you got any more background on the Danes? I like um, Gebregsabir a lot. He was in the breakaways in, was it the tour a lot with yeah. NTT? He was in those breakaways. Oh, yeah, correct. He was in the breakaways a lot. And he's also a pretty strong breakaway rider. Wouldn't surprise me if he wins a Grand Tour stage this year. I'm not even joking. Yeah. He's generally that good. But he's never really been in a breakaway where there wasn't a extremely good breakaway rider in it so the moment he gets into an average breakaway and is seen as a stronger guys he can definitely pull it off and it's mainly going to happen on climbing stage because that's where he's the strongest in those breakaways um Eggholm, i think he was um men's junior uh world champion in qatar in 2017 and since then he hasn't done too much on the road i recall something of a track history for him but i I'm not too uh, too knowledgeable about the Trek area, so I can't tell you if he's a super strong Trek rider behind the scenes or not. But I just know he was a world champion in 2017 in, in Qatar with the junior men's, and that was ahead of uh, quite a few riders that we know these days. So um, pretty strong rider, to be honest, in, in general. I was surprised that they didn't bring over Fancelu, which... Uh, is a rider that is now at Cometa. He was junioring or training at the end of the year last year at Trek. And he's more of a climber type. He was full on that Antalya stage, uh, mountain stage in Antalya, behind Zoidal, Badilati and Stedman. So you can climb if you can do that. And I think he is almost worthy to go to a Walter team then. So it wouldn't surprise me if that Fancello guy ends up at Trek next year. So uh, yeah. That's my take on the transfers, really. Tiberi, everything you said was right about that, so can't add too much more there. Skelmozy Jensen, I just don't know him. Honestly, I don't know. So I can't tell you. On to uh, the next section. So now we're going to pick their what we think is their teams and we'll assess whether we think it's a particularly strong team or a weak part of their roster. Going into the Cobble Classics, we've already mentioned it a little bit, but obviously we'd be going with uh, Sturvin, Turns, Kirsch, Pedersen, Cone de Court, maybe. I would have Quinn Simmons up there. I think if you go and watch go and watch Britannia Classic and watch it in full if you've got the time, and you probably do. If you can listen, you've got the time to listen to this podcast, then maybe just slap on the uh, Britannia Classic if you can find a feed of it because Simmons was really aggressive there. He was strong at Tour de Hungary, and I mean, if he's his problem is he's not particularly uh, smart from my perspective. And I'm not talking about the polit- <laughs> I'm not talking about the Twitter political stuff. I'm talking about um, <laughs> which is another thing entirely, and I hope doesn't resurface this year because it's just a waste of time for everybody, and sh- he should leave it alone. But 
Um, I'm talking about when he like gained a lot of weight because he before the season when he was like 18 before 2020 because he wanted to like be 83 kilos or something to be a cobbledy guy, and everyone was like, "Why?" And I mean, it's good. I think we see sometimes see the other direction when riders lose a lot of weight and maybe it's too much weight. So uh, I hope he just, you know, listens to what the staff are saying, prepares him, etc., and just focuses on the races. Because, yeah, Britannia Classic, Tour de Hungary, Tour de Hungary was crazy where he came second on GC and Attila Valta won GC and there was that last stage and uh, Simmons was climbing pretty well. So I think he can do well at Omloop and should be in that squad with them there and Roubaix, etc. Any other riders you'd have in their uh, cobbled squad, Benji? Those are the main guys. And I think uh, we saw Simmons at the start of 2020 in one of those cobble races. I think it was Kurne on the cobble parts where he was basically one of the uh, real domestiques to make sure that either a small group with a track rider could get away or he was closing down gaps to anybody else who was attacking and he was really strong in that, so I definitely follow you on that aspect. Simmons is one of those riders that has a bright future and definitely in the couple races as well. We said it earlier, the likes of Kirsch. Alexander Kamp, I'm curious. He, um, on paper, should be decent at that, but doesn't look like he's got too many great results on the couple races, but apparently uh, it's not really the case then. It's really about the three riders, you know, the couple races, Mess Peterson, Stive and Turns, and then there's supportive team surrounding them with Simmons as a talent that might grow in the future and I think we can uh, keep it as simple as that at the moment. Milano San Remo, who do you think Benji? Patterson again or is there someone else? Sturvin standing up, Tom Schoens, who do you think would be their MSR guy? Malka? I think that if Nibali wants to he's going to get that because of his position in the team. But I think they shouldn't. Nibali won it once, but it was also with an attack where there was no immediate response. You're not going to have that in the likes of 2021, where Alaphilippe, Outfanad, Vanderpool, they're all going to sit ready under your wheel and they're going to try and follow every attack on the Pajo. We know that by now. So it's unlikely that Nibali can uh, do well in San Remo anymore in that sense. So, so sorry, for the, rest of the, the disrespect I just showed, I just mentioned half the Cobble squad. I should preface what I said with in 2020 they did the opposite and they ran with the Italian squad, predictably at Milano San Remo. Brambia first, Ciccone then attacking this is on the Poggio, trying to set up Nibali, and then there was just there was nothing. Like it was really impotent yeah. uh, and didn't have the zap at all. I think it got brought back by uh, Grundal Janssen maybe on or, or Vingard yep. at uh, Jumbo Visma, they just controlled it so easily. So I don't see that improving. I agree with you, Benji. I don't see that improving. That's in 2021. That's why I was trying to suggest a different approach. Uh, Leipinch at, uh, attacking early, Schoens attacking early, the two Latvians, and maybe trying to, I don't know. But I, I don't think the – because, I listen, Say Chikona gets a gap, Benji, with a couple of other of the climbier guys on the Poggio. Do you think he's beating the likes of what? What chance does he have to beat the likes of Alaphilippe or Hershey or Co. in in a sprint? Who? Which of the riders? 
Ciccone with a in a group of Hirsch Randall. and Alaphilippe. Yeah, no, not a chance. He has to get away, and he has to have a proper gap in the descent to make it happen. Yeah, if it's the likes of Peterson still being in the first group, then he has an opportunity of taking it because Peterson's good after long hard races. If it rains on Milano San Remo, Peterson has a chance. If it doesn't, nope. Outside, uh, yeah. If he gets, if he gets, um, oh god, who's the guy that beats again in 2013 when they had to stop the race, Benji? The first win for uh, Quebecer, the underdog, Chiolek. If he gets the Chiolek conditions, Pedersen will be a big <laughs> favorite for Milano San Remo. Get all uh, the good old days. Yeah, I was going watch. <laughs> I've done a video on that one. So. Uh, that's but yeah. I've what, what do you actually think their squad will be, and what do you what do you think their leader will be, Benji? And I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who should their leader be for Milano Sanremo? Um, I think Steven, and that's because okay. I trust Steven's hill qualities more than Miss Peterson's hill qualities. Okay, and the Poggio is still a hill, so um, yeah, Peterson could probably get over it to be honest. So either of the two, those two riders, Steven and Peterson, depending on how they feel, how they feel on the day. Okay, Ardennes. Now we're moving on to Liège, Flesh, Amstel. Again, Balka, Nibali. I don't know. Will Nibali, if he's doing the Giro, how can he do the Ardennes as well, Benji? I don't think he. They're not going to be able to send the Italian contingent to the Ardennes, will they? Or will that? Does that marry up or not? Uh, I would not think so. I think no. LBL is like two weeks before the yeah. Giro at this point. And um, the only one that he could race, perhaps as preparation, is LBL. Because he often does that just as like, oh, we're going to try and see where we land. But it ain't going to happen, really. There's too much competition in LBL for Nibali to take care of at his current uh, day and age. Yeah. I'm roasting Newly so much, it's so bad. <laughs> I feel bad doing it. <laughs> anyway, um, for the rest, I, I would go Molema leader. And um, yeah. yeah, I think it's as simple as that, really. I Yeah, I mean, I is, think they'll be sending, also they'll good be sending at like, they'll be sending like Bram B and Hey B, Nicholas Egg. Gebrags a beer? yes, for sure. They will. Uh, Schoens, I think Schoens is maybe their second best rider in the Ardennes if he's on form. Like he won Tre Valley Varicine in 2018. I don't, I, th- I think, I remember he was in the, he got in a late break when he got caught with, with Remco in Classica San Sebastian in 2019. Schoens is, I think, should definitely be one of their candidates in the Ardennes. But I just don't see, I don't see anyone with real punch in flesh or Amstel Benji, like who can really go with the big guns when they attack late? Uh, it's difficult. I think that Molema is just going to be uh, in the second group every time in yeah. those kind of races. And he'd need to have either be in a group that is looking at each other and then attacking away. That's when Molema can strike in these kind of races. But if Molema attacks on the last hill or just after the last hill, there's going to be someone responding on it most likely. Now, looking at the rest, I think it, that the um, Hill Classics are going to be a bit of a filler. The likes of uh, Riz could get in there, Juan Pedro Lopez, those kind of riders could fill up the team. Simmons? I don't really know what Elis saw. What, sorry? Quinn Simmons. You think he could That's do possible. You think he could go okay at Amstel or Liège? I think he could, to be honest. Like, 
there's nothing pointing at the opposite for me. I just don't know where his limits lie in those areas. So we'll see it after he races it, I guess. I think that's the only thing we can really yeah. go off at the moment. But like we said, the main focus should be Mollema, I think. Yeah. So that's the Ardennes team. Uh, we've done their cobble team. I think the cobble team is definitely much stronger than the Ardennes team. Then moving on to the Grand Tours, oh, we should mention, sorry, Lombardia. I think their leader once again will be Balka and Ciccone. And I think Ciccone in fine form is well capable of winning uh, Lombardia, actually. I think he's shown that if his progression continues as it was, counting out the issues with his nose, which should be fixed, I think Ciccone Mount Mollimer is quite nice for Lombardia, actually. Yeah. Got, sorry, go on. But they've got a problem there indeed. Like It's the same thing they did in 2020. They they had Nibali, oh, Ciccone, yeah. and Olimai's leader. Ended up 4th, 5th, and 6th in the race. <laughs> like there, there needs to be a point where they choose who is leader because I felt like they were dropping each other at certain points in, in Lombardia 2020. And Astana they need a better the tactic for that. Astana yeah. just had them on the limit thought, like the whole time. You could tell. <laughs> exactly. And I think that... It's going to be exactly the same situation in 2021. It's at the end of the season in Lombardia, so that offers opportunities for the likes of Nibali to be there as well. And Nibali is not going to um, come to a Lombardia to support Ciccone in my honest opinion. So I think we're going to, we're going to see all three as leader there once again. For Lombardia... Ciccone is stronger than Nibali. Depends on their day. Well, the day is 2021 in October. I think, I think that's the day. And on that day, it will be Chikone. <laughs> Nibli. I, I, love, I love Nibli as well, but I'm just reality. You know, the yeah. Chikone in his prime. Anyway, Giro d'Italia, you said already, Benji, that Nibli is going. I mean, he has to, he has to go as, a G, as their GC guy, right? Like, he, he's not, yeah. he's going to, no way Vincenzo Nibli. On track, Segafredo going to the Giro. No way he's going to say that he's not going for GC. Surely that's going to be the way their team structured for the beginning. Yeah, and I think that I think Mulema also mentioned that he's not going for GC in Grand Tours, which I good. I think he's good as a breakaway rider. I think we've both agree agreed on that. We've both agreed on that. And um, the likes of Ciccone would be the same situation. These should go for. Uh, for stages, but Molema is kind of on the on the edge for me. I think that if we put Molema and Nibali next to each other, in my honest opinion, they should both go for stage. That would be amazing. Just genuinely so aggressive riding and seeing those two go for stage would be amazing throughout the season. But Nibali is most likely going to go for GC. He uh, he uh, he and his trainer think that they can still podium a Grand Tour. I'll leave it to that. And um, uh, I would love to see Nibali just prep for a Grand Tour and just go for stages. It's just my honest opinion. Um, I'm I mean, kind of on the Chicone, edge. If they sent Chicone, Brambilla, Elisande, and Molima to the Giro hunting stages, or oh, that would be all the all the Tour de France. That would be disgusting. Uh, maybe that's yeah. a bit one too many of them, but uh, that would be lethal in mountain stages if they sent them. Um, but I doubt they will. I think Gabregs would be uh, as well. You could put in there with those guys would be a really nice addition in a medium mountain stage too. But yeah, I think it's going to be the Italian guys going to the Giro. I'm not sure what Molima 
will be doing. But yeah, Nibali, uh I think, I don't know, maybe they'll take Moschetti just in case as like backup for the sprints where he can look after himself. But he was outside the time limit, I think, in Grand Tour last year. Um, we'll ask we'll Ashkerns what he thinks he'll do in the uh, interview at the end of this podcast. And, yeah, hopefully they set the team up that they can go for stages if things don't work out GC-wise. Tour de France. Quick question. Yeah? What do you think of Juan Pedro Lopez? Uh, I don't know who he is, Benji. Okay, that's exactly the answer I was uh, I was looking for. He ended up um, talking in an interview the last week where he was mentioning that in uh, in the coming years he will try and do as best as he can to try and get as close to Evenepoel and Pogacar as possible. So um, he's got very ambitious what, plans in the future. In so, cycling. Uh, in, <laughs> in cycling, not in golf or something. So um, I'm hoping for him that it works, but I oh. think it's a very ambitious statement. I love the confidence. <laughs> yeah, sixth, sixth in GC in Tour de Hungary in 2019, and then uh, nothing in the top 30 in a stage at the well. So that ain't gonna that ain't gonna cut them. <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, I hope he actually said that, and I'm not just roasting him for nothing. But that's the problem. Yeah, team no, no. That, I, I'm. Thank you for bringing that up. This is a good time to mention. Now we're going into the Tour de France and the Vuelta selections. Where is the GC progression coming in this team? Nibali and Mollema in their mid to late thirties, probably in their last couple of years. Uh, and we, we, you already said Nibali is straight washed, and we think Mollema he can still be sneaky in some GC scenarios, maybe in a week Vuelta or something, or I don't know. But he's not even going for GC. Where's where's the young GC talent coming through in, in this team? Because they just lost Port, who would have easily been their best GC rider. Nicholas Egg is on the back end of a three or four year deal. Twenty twenty one is his last year. He's twenty six. The Danish guy. Unfortunately, it just hasn't seemed to have worked out for him. Um, he's not really progressed. I don't know if he's been sick or had injuries or whatever, but it's just not. Worked out for him. Elisande is not a GC guy. Where is it? Chicone? Who? Who? Like where? Is there just no one, Benji? I don't believe in Chicone as a GC leader. Um, he doesn't have the time trial for it for sure. And if we have to look at the team, then we have to point at really young riders, which really has no proof yet of being yeah. amazing at these races. The only one I would mention is the Riz guy. Because I remember him being a climber. He got 19th in Tour de Lens, for example, which was not an easy race. But 19th is 13 minutes back, together with Richie Port. <laughs> Either way, um, I think he's on the level of the likes of uh, Valerio Conti and uh, a, uh, Vier Mose and Ian Hert when it comes to climbing at the moment. So he's potentially the rider where I expect most growth for in climbing, but you're 22 and there's still much to grow in, but there's no one that shouts, oh, I'm going to be the next GC leader at Trek. And that is what worries me. That's what worries you. And I think that's what worries Trek as well at the moment. You know what I think is the worst type of rider for ROI to sign is like a middling 
22 or 23 year old GC guy who doesn't really hasn't really won much in U23 or juniors who's kind of been in the second climbing group in in juniors and U23 I just think that's not the guy to sign um in terms of like think about Sepp Koos so Sepp Koos right he's 26 we're talking about now Sepp Koos could become a GC guy if he got his chance to maybe get a top five, you know, in his first year going for GC at 26, 27. Well, Sepp Koos won Tour of Utah a couple of years ago, etc. then was a climbing super domestique, et cetera. It's, I know this is a, not exactly a hot take, but it, it's really, really fucking hard to be a top 15 GC guy. And it's even harder to be in the top seven or top nine um, assuming that, say, you know, say there's nine different people on the podium each year in all the Grand Tours and there's no correlation, yeah. no double counting, which not all the case, not always the case, Roglic, for example. But to be in those top nine guys, it's very, 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 very rare that they've shown not very many results before they were uh, 24 or 25. The only one I can think of is Froome, really. The rest are... I've always shown something earlier. So, yeah, that's why I rant against not signing those guys and paying for them. And I would sign high-risk, high-reward, sprinty sprinty sort of types. Uh, and, I'll, yeah, who would you sign instead? Like what sort of rider would you go for instead, Benji? Whew. Who do you think it's is difficult, undervalued? Huh? Like what sort of rider do you think is undervalued that could – Get get race wins or actually help other riders on the team get race wins? The problem is that a lot of those riders, those kind of riders, are already on other teams. The likes of an Andre Amador is a rider that is likely not being paid a million. Well, he's at Ineos, so it could still be a million. But he's likely not being paid as much as a, as a GC rider. But if he's on another team, he could be that. And... I think that's the kind of rider that they would need to push it forward, but he's also not one of the youngest guys. So I'd have to look very in-depthly to think about a rider in that area, to be honest. Yeah, I guess I'm talking sort of the Conti Pro Tour ranks. Oh, okay. Yeah, those, who are those sort of riders that are uh, getting getting results here and there? Um, maybe comment down below who you think are undervalued riders or underrated style of riders that could be signed. But anyway, I've completely sidetracked us. I'll try and include a timestamp uh, <laughs> for this, for that rant. Their Tour de France squad, I really have no idea, Benji. I would send Peterson and the sprint sprint train and maybe Schoens to go for stages. I think Schoens is capable of winning a Tour de France stage. Don't tell him I said that in the interview later. Um, but... Yeah, that's who I would send. Edda Saunder maybe as well to go for sprint stage. Uh, sprint stages? Jesus, to go for mountain stages. <laughs> so in the Dauphiné, in the Dauphiné, I think in the stage, Camino one that Edda Saunder was quite strong. Maybe it was the coup stage, one of those later Dauphiné stages that were quite yep. hard. Good sprint that day. Yep, good sprint up the hill. <laughs> so I'd send, I'd send those two, Schoens, Edda Saunder, and maybe Mollimer or uh, – no, sorry, Nibali to go for the mountains, and then I'd send the sprint train. I think that actually could be quite nice and overperform. And it, if they do that, it all goes to plan. I think Trek could win three Tour de France stages next year. Is that outrageous? 
No, I think um, hot take, Miss Pedersen is going to win on the Champs-Élysées. Ooh, how's he going to beat Sam Bennett, though? Power, a good position this time around than like uh, last year. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I honestly think uh, it can happen. I think it can happen. I think Bennett, Bennett will probably be better next year in the Tour, actually, because he won't be like in the Champs-Élysées, which he still won. But like going for green is, um, again, another hot take. Going for green is actually more tiring than just sitting in the bunch all the time. So, <laughs> like that that obviously was would have been contributing to his fatigue during the Tour de France. But, yeah, I think I think there's some um, crosswind potential in stages early in the Tour de France. I remember if you go and look at Paris-Nice, uh, stage two, I think I seem to recall Pedersen doing some damage there too. So, yeah, I think it ended up Nizzolo winning that stage and – I'm going to look this up right now, and I think this is another reason why. Um, yeah, Paris is before lockdown, by the way. In in stage yes. two, yeah, Pedersen caused a split, but then they sprinted for Sturvin. So we can see at the start of the year they were still, I don't know, they were still not doing, or maybe Sturvin got the right split. Who knows? But um, it changed that. Um, it changed that Polonia the day that. Yeah, Pedersen took that victory. Stage that was two. the moment they realized, oh, we've got a sprinter on our hands, and we. Yeah. We didn't realize it to this potential and he ended up doing better and better in every sprint. Then the moment he started off the Tour de France in that second position at the first stage was like, okay, we've got stage win potential in that guy. And the fact that they did not change directly to just Peterson, still can't wrap my head around it. But yeah, it's it's the, it's the past now. They're going to change it. So um, I guess they've listened to your advice. <laughs> I think Bing Bang Tour again, like on the cobbles, they'll be very strong at Bing Bang Tour. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to stage there, and I would send Simmons there as well as co-leader with with Pedersen and and Sturvin, see how he goes. Um, and then Vuelta, who knows? Elisonda if he wants to back up Gebrexibia for stage wins. Sorry, I really struggle with his name. Emil's Lapinch. I'd really like to see him. Going better at some of the Vuelta stages. I know um, he's highly touted in Latvia as sort of an uphill sprint guy, but he didn't do as well as we, we thought he might have in the Vuelta last year in such stages. Julian Bernard, you know, he, he's always he could get a Grand Tour stage win next year, maybe the Tour or the Vuelta. But yeah, do you send Moschetti again to go for sprints in the Vuelta, Benji? Could you think he could pick up a stage win in the Vuelta? I think he could definitely do that. The problem with Moschetti is that he had so much bad luck in his career so far. It's it's actually maddening. The amount of times he gets crashed because someone else makes a mistake in a race is insane, his track record in that. And that's why he's got basically one, two, three, four, five stage races ridden in 2020, and every single one he DNF'd. <laughs> So the, OT, so the OTL is, was that from a crash? Yep. He ended up crashing in that stage. And, oh, okay. Uh, so I thought he was, so he's not a, he's not a Marechko type. Can he actually climb a little bit? He can actually climb a little bit. Okay. Fair enough. All right. We've not really done a great job picking their squads. Maybe Benji, do you want to have a stab at their Vuelta squad? Uh, do you, did you, do you agree with, my Tour de France squad for them uh, and yeah what do you think they'll send to the Vuelta too? Yeah I think so as well the main sprinting team should be at the Tour de France I think in general the feeling with Trek regarding these Grand Tours is if they send the likes of Nibali and Molema to Giro and Tour or one of those two 
then you don't really have a GC leader for La Vuelta. So La Vuelta could be the place to test out younger riders to see what they can offer in their first Grand Tour. Hey. I don't know if they'll send Tiberi to his first Grand Tour this year. It's a bit early, I think, 1920. But on the other end, I would like it. would be fun, probably. So Arkansas. Why not? Yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. It's not like they have other people that are more talented in their team that could be a better GC rider in the future. So might as well try and yep. test these ones out already. Regarding that, perhaps uh, one of their sprinters to to try and get some stage wins in La Vuelta. But if they all go to the Tour de France, then it's going to be difficult on that area. But like you said, Moschetti would be the one that is left over if they don't send Moschetti to the Giro then. So it's kind of a, a one or the other thing. The general feeling is just that they don't have a GC leader for that Vuelta and will end up having most likely battles for breakaway rides. And that's also kind of fun, but it's not what Trek was used to doing in the past. They were usually always up there with the better ones in GC. And this year was the first year that they don't have the all-out leader, I think, to send to a Grand Tour. What about the Olympics and the World Championships road race? Do you see, is that, that going to be, uh, so the, the Olympics is obviously Balka and Nibali territory, maybe even Chikone actually, depending on um, how long or hard the, cl- the main climb is done. So I think look out for those guys. Nibali surely stated his intention to do the road yep. race, uh, the Olympics, right? Correct. Okay. So expect to see them there. It'll be very, very competitive depending on who goes. Well, actually, I'll say that if all the best guys like Roglic, Hershey, Pogaccia can't attend, then it might be not as strong. World Championships is at Benji's house. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be Pedersen winning, right? Winning his second World Champs. Uh, it's it's possible. He's up there, definitely, but... There's some other considering the World Championships. And, and, you know, Wildfire Art too. Yeah, it's going to be a highly contested race and it's, it's difficult to say at this point who's going to be the best. I don't know 100% what the parkour is like. I've been at that area um, before. It's not literally at my house, by the way. So <laughs> that's, that's why I haven't been there. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been there if it was literally at my house. Will Robbich um, be much help to Wildfire Art there or not? <laughs> I think um, I think yes. This time around, he's gonna do it to try and avoid sports commentary to uh, to pull him down in the end. So uh, I definitely see that happening. Yeah. So if, if you don't know, by the way, Flanders twenty twenty one World Championships course, obviously it's gonna suit. You know, who knows? Could be Sturvin. Could be Sturvin. Um, <laughs> Queen Simmons would be very, very, very uh, unpopular world champion. I think. Um, but I think he'd probably be selected for the the American team, right? And yeah, I think it'll be they'll actually have a very good shot of winning the world champs once again with either the Belgian Sturven if they oh no he's got the uh, old Vanard on the team hasn't he? I forget yeah. I always get confused between the trade teams and the national teams. But yeah, Peterson got a great chance. He'll be the out and out leader for the Danes at the uh, Flanders twenty twenty one for Trek. Not that, that really is in their colours. But that's all from Trek in terms of the teams over-under on their wins. Benji, you think they're going to get more than 10 wins next year? How many How many World Tour wins do you reckon? They're going to get more wins, yes. I think that Peterson has stated his, his strength and I think he's going to be more leader 
in more races in uh, in 2021. And if he's fallout leader in races, he's going to get more victories because that's what kept him back in 2020, I think. So uh, I believe they're going to get more victories than last year because last year it just wasn't too much, was it? Then, right? So uh, yeah, half of the I think lockdown too. They weren't world tour level except Santos two and under, which you have your views on. I think thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. That's a nice number. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think we could see a lot of changes at Trek next year uh, or after this year. Out of contract is Nibali, Turns, the Court, Ciccone, Elisonde, Camp. Simmons, Leipinch, Kirsch, Mullen, Egg, Conchi, Bernard, Ries, Eggholm, Nibli, Quarterman, and the next, even a poll, Juan Pedro Lopez. So, yeah, it's a lot of those guys, I think, like they'll be dropping the Nibli salary, I would assume. I think he's, I think he's leaving. Yeah. I heard um, yeah. some pretty big rumors that he's joining Ineos in 2022. Why would anything um, else want Vincenzo Nibali? I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I presume he's—I presume Nibali's WhatsApped you that, but that sounds like misinformation spread from his agent to me, uh, trying to pump up his, surprise, his yeah. market value. I think they'd be wise to allow that salary to come off the books and uh, invest it elsewhere. Not hating on Nibali, but yeah, I think... If, yeah, if he doesn't podium a Grand Tour for them in 2020, then he's not worth what they are paying him because they are still paying him, in my opinion, for doing said stuff. He's probably gaining them quite a bit with commercial. But GC guy, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. He's. Uh, I just, I don't see him worth the value that he's being paid right now. And that is saying about, it from. Okay. A, well, what about the marketing stuff? Do you think he's not picking it up on the marketing side either? I think he is, but cycling is not all about the marketing either. So he needs to get the results as well. Otherwise, the marketing won't be valuable in a year anymore. So it's a bit of a combination of both. And I think that despite all that, he's worth it for marketing, but he's less worth it in 2020, at least, regarding the results. And in 2021, it's not looking overly amazing. So I don't think he's going to get extended. I really think he's going to leave the team at the end of 2021. If I was Trek, I would have looked at what Alpers and Phoenix have done with their roster and I'd double down on the talent that they do have and making sure they can support Mads Pedersen, Sturvin and Co to get as many wins as possible. Uh, I would re-sign Chicone depending on how he does this year and focus on building up a one-day stage hunting squad with uh, Chicone and Co. But that was Benji and I talking about Trek Segafredo. Now is our interview with Tom Schoens. Always a great guy to have a chat with. Very amusing and insightful. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Let us know down below in the comments if you did and hit Tom's up on social media or on the, uh, the Twitter. Tom's, I want to ask you straight up because I've seen you tweeting about it and I, I want to know more about it. And I've actually been tweeting at the Riders Union Twitter handle wanting to get more info. But what, what was the rationale for creating that Riders Union? And like, what do you think that Riders Union is going to do differently? I mean, it's literally called the Riders Union compared to the CPA. I mean, the, the real reason, yeah, the, the first meeting hasn't uh, been... Uh... Um, the first date of the date of the first meeting has been announced, but the first meeting has not been um, uh, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it is early March. 
and we will get to vote on uh, the actual director because currently it is uh, the guy that was like the main driving force behind it. I'm fairly certain he will be the one we the one person we we actually vote in as well. Okay. But there still needs to be a vote happening, and uh, I mean, yeah, there needs to it needs to have a bit like. The, the biggest reason why this union happened is because the writers will actually have more input in this one than the current one we have, which is named CPA, uh, people might know. And for example, in the CPA, me as a writer from Latvia, I pretty much have no representation. I have no say. It is pretty much, even though they say they represent all the writers, which they in theory do, um, because that's how it has um, like come about. But at the same time, writers like uh, writers that don't have their own union in their country. So all the Baltics, um, like even some nations actually that have a union in their own country, they actually don't have a say just because they don't get a seat at the CPA table. So the, I think the CPA uh, is pretty much um, seven nations, let's say. So it's France, Italy, um, Portugal, Switzerland. Hmm. It's like the UN five. Some others that it's I. It's like nation block voting. So yeah. You yeah, get, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's nation block voting. So uh, one of the the French representative just votes with 300 whatever votes because that's how many pro riders they have. Whereas me, if I if Latvia wants to vote, if I mean we have only three pro riders, but if we wanted to vote, we would have to show up individually, which uh, kind of sucks. Um, so I mean, wait, it, wait, it you can't really you can't attend digitally. You can't attend via Zoom no. in the past. Not yet, not yet. Okay. They're they're saying that they're going to work on it, but in theory, they've been saying that for a while. Finally, just because the new union has appeared, there there's been like a little fire lit under their asses, so they're uh, moving a little bit better towards actually making uh, a change. Whereas before, it was just status quo, and everyone was happy there because they decided what they wanted to, and that's how it worked. I mean, for context, I'm pretty sure the NBA, they had everyone on, on Zoom calls when they were deciding about do we come back to do the season or not uh, because of COVID and BLM. They were trying to consult the players um, and they had like 500-person per Zoom calls and then they'd kick all the non-union people out. So, I mean, it obviously everyone knows you can, like we're talking right now from across the world and you guys are never at home half the time. I don't know when the meetings typically are. Um, but yeah, you guys are around the world all the time. You need to be able to, you'd think it makes sense to be able to join, <laughs> join remotely. I think even Australia doesn't have a representative, for example, and Great Britain doesn't have a representative and Germany doesn't have a representative. Really? And that's big nation that those are big nations that are unrepresented. Right. Uh, the Danish don't, the Belgians don't because they pulled out and the Dutchies also don't because they pulled out. Um, However, I got to say, CPA has done also a lot of good. Like uh, they have negotiated better contracts for everyone. They have put in more insurance for everyone. Uh, the Extreme Motor Protocol is another great example of uh, CPA actually doing something good for us and putting in some uh, 
uh, yeah, some things that actually the riders care about and are actually that protect the riders. And maybe organizers or the UCI are not necessarily, or teams, let's say, are not necessarily super stoked on it. But there are a lot of problems, and the CPA is uh, super reluctant to change those. So uh, hopefully the the new riders union helps. Yeah, I mean uh, the model the model contracts, and like if you look in the UCI rules, which I'm probably the only person that does that in their spare time. Uh, like the model UCI contract is definitely a good thing, and like if a team, for example, deviates from those minimum terms that people don't know, um, then if they deviate from the minimum terms in the UCI rules, then the rules or the clause that they've struck out will be deemed to actually be in the contract. So it protects the rider in that sense. If maybe they don't have a, an agent, they get bad advice or something like that. Uh, if they're a neo pro, they can't as easily get screwed over by by a team. So that's why that sort of thing is useful. You did the Tour de France last year, and I sort of I think of you as like a medium mountain stage hunting type guy you've done well at three valley varicine multiple years including winning that i think you even did you come third as well in 2019 maybe the year roglich won if you were being a hundred percent selfish and you got to choose a program that was like a hundred percent about you getting the most wins um what, what sort of program would would that be for you? And maybe describe to people how you like what style of rider you view yourself as. Have I described it correctly, or am I a bit off? I think uh, that you are pretty spot on. I definitely will not pass the huge calls in the tour when uh, the GC guys light it up, nor I will win big bunch sprints ever. Um, so I have to choose races that are hard, races that are. Uh, bit more exciting races that are a bit more unpredictable because I think one of the things I'm good at is uh, thinking while still uh, while oxygen deprived my brain still works <laughs> sometimes <clears throat> but um, yeah I mean I can't say that uh, I'm ever unhappy with my calendar the team here Trek Sigafredo uh, that I ride for right now are super uh, helpful and they actually listen to me uh, and they actually try and accommodate the races I want to do and the races I can be good at and obviously not always even though the race might suit me not always I get to go for a and own result but um, yeah I, I don't think uh, there's many things to change in the calendar one thing I am looking forward to sometime down the road is trying a bit more cobbled racing because yeah last year I did manage to squeeze in some cobbles because they were after the Ardennes. Uh, but I think doing the problem with doing the cobbles in our, in our team is that it's very, very stacked already for it. And there's guys fighting for places on the team and they don't need really another rider <laughs> fighting for a spot. Um, and on the other side, the Ardennes team is maybe lacking a little bit in the firepower. And those are races that suit me anyways. So that's why I get to slot into more the Ardennes-style classics than the cobbled ones. Yeah, I mean, Trek won, I think, four of the eight cobbled World Tour races last year or something like that. Are you, um, when you're not cycling, do you try and take time off and, like, forget about cycling? Like, still training, but will you be watching every, say, World Tour race that's on when you're at home or a bit of both or... 
takes like try to ignore it and just focus on your races actually it only just came to my mind <clears throat> like i am definitely one that watches races when i'm at home even <laughs> and uh i like watching cyclocross as well so yeah. I, like over the christmas period was super nice because uh, there was a cross race every other day pretty much um and i'll definitely watch the next world cups that are uh, this weekend and worlds the weekend after or world cup let's say um so i do enjoy watching racing but i think maybe i actually just the re the what the thing i just realized was that i never watched racing really until i was like 18 19 uh so i was like a few years already into cycling and i didn't really know or care that professional cycling existed <laughs> um and then i realized that it does and it's kind of cool and uh yeah i do enjoy watching it for sure so last year what would you say was the most exciting race that yeah you didn't participate in uh that you watched i did watch a lot of giro stages that were pretty cool um but at the same time even though there might have been some exciting races that I was not participating in, there were um, other races that I was racing, so I didn't get to watch that much. Yeah, true. I mean, last year's not a great year to ask that question because everyone was pretty much racing yeah. the entire time and no one got a break. My mom, I think I said, was Dauphiné Stage 5. Um, that was crazy uh, when literally, I think, Pino attacked from the gun and all hell broke loose. So that and uh, did Camden win that or Coos? I can't remember. But yeah, that, that stage was crazy. Yeah, step, and step, step, step. The Delphine stage uh, five definitely was one I'll remember. Even though I was there, I could yeah. not believe uh, how hard we were going. <laughs> uh, and it was also an interesting day for us because, uh, yeah, just all hell break, broke loose. And uh, just because, as we remember, or if we remember, Roglic was in yellow in theory, but he didn't start the day. Yeah. So it was all up for grabs. And uh, in Pino, I think, I guess in theory was the leader, but still finished. The, like, I mean, in theory, because he was second on GC. And then at the end of the day, he was again second on GC because Martinez passed him. Without starting a complete like Italian v France war, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you think the Giro is actually more exciting to watch? I mean, literally every every GC leader right now in the last week has been like, going to the Giro, going to the Giro, uh, except for obviously the two Slovenians. Do you think that's because they really like the Giro? Do you think because there's people scared of the Slovenians? Is it because of the Tour de France parkour? Like, what do you think that is? And, yeah, do you think the Giro is actually a bit more exciting to watch? Yeah, I think the Giro it has definitely a lot uh, – a lot of exciting race uh, stages at the same time they do have a lot of boring long crazy stupid race stages uh i think this year the tour felt like there was never an easy day and there was always something happening so maybe this year is not the best comparison uh giro versus tour but normally yeah i'd say on a normal year the giro is more exciting um also because um it is not as controlled. Yeah, it's not yeah. really about what the course is like. It's more that it's not as controlled and there's always some crazy like steep climbs and or like something that just in the parkour looks easy and then suddenly is not. And then suddenly you turn up and 
people that have scouted before they have an advantage uh the locals have an advantage or whatever and i think that's what makes it a little bit more an exciting race whereas if it is as controlled as the tour is then it would just be the same i mean you would always just wait for the last climb and see who has better watts per kilo that day and voila that's your stage results if you were the Tour de France organizer, how would you try and combat that? I mean, this is not exactly a new thing, like Yumbo train, Sky train, previously Postal train, like trains that exist for a long time to, I guess, nullify the race. I think I'm hoping this year that because of what happened last year with the TT, Jumbo Visma can't go in and be like, oh, well, we can just stay neutral in all the mountains and then bank on the TT, which you could do with Wiggins, you could do with Froome, you could do with... Uh, like Armstrong back in the day, which sort of controlled the races. But they're not going to be able to do that this year, I hope. Um, but, yeah, what would you do if you were the person in charge of designing the route? Is there really anything you can do if the super teams decide to just bring the trains and control it? Yeah, that's a hard question. Uh, it definitely, There's definitely not a lot you can do when the biggest boys show up and they just ride a hard pace the whole day. And, I mean... It would be silly to attack because you only can go as hard as you can go for a certain period of time. Um, I would like to see some back-to-back short stages. I don't think there needs to be long, all the time long stages. Long stages still need to happen because that's how people actually get tired. Um, and those undulating days take, uh, yeah, take a lot out of you. But I would like to see some back-to-back short short ones. Like the one Carthy one like, in Tour de Suisse? Uh, I mean, yeah, something like that, just back-to-back. Uh, yeah. Like in the tour, the year we had, like the grid start of like 70 or 80K, whatever race. Um, and uh, I mean, the grid start is not really necessary, but uh, like if you put two of those back-to-back, I think it would be kind of cool just because a lot of times on the first one, no one knows what to expect and everyone still kind of hesitates a little bit. But if you put them two in a row, then on the second day, there will be people that will be like it yesterday worked. I felt, I felt better than I expected or like I saw some guy making it further than I expected or something. And then they'll have a little bit more incentive to go for broke uh, straight from the get go. Yeah, I guess if you have really short but hard stages, I mean, I, the ideal outcome for the race organizer, right, is just to get rid of all the domestiques so it's all the leaders attacking each other so there's just more chaos, kind of like the Dauphiné stage five. If that means that, yeah, you have a, two shorter stages and then there's like a hard climb at the start to really thin it out and because it's short, someone can actually go for broke early. Um, I guess the Dauphiné stage got lit up because Pino attacked early, but... Yeah, it's a hard. I think about it all the time, and it's kind of it's kind of hard. The Tour de France, despite being the biggest race, that because it's the biggest race, they bring it upon themselves that everyone loads up the trains. Um, I kind of think the other way, and I think they need to have more like a 2012 long ITTs, flat ITTs, like 80, 90 k's of it, but then also back to back big mountain Giro style stages. Um, so that you have pure TT guys gaining a lot of time early and then actual big mountain stages for Mikko Lander, Manuel Buchmann, 
all the guys who are now going to the Giro, Bernal, to actually, oh, we could gain that time back. Because I, I think they're looking at it and seeing that stage five TT and thinking we're going to be down a minute on Pagacha and Roglic, maybe more. And what, Montmont 2 descent finish, is that going to be enough really when they climb like that? Yeah, but yeah. I, that's, that's what keeps me up at night, which probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> You... Well, I mean, you're up at 1 a.m., so clearly you're staying past normal people bedtime. But I, I mean, think actually what I like to see is um, some more just undulating days. Because yeah. sometimes people forget how exciting those can be. Like some steep, more Dubertine-style climbs, because if you throw in those with some longer climbs, then you make sure that the super punchy guys don't make it over. And then it ha- like there's people just like hanging out for their life, and it's not it's not the same effort that wins you the tour, where it's just like long sustained high power or whatever, but it's like super high power for a short period of time, and then you can you can maybe recover, maybe not, uh, but you have to do it again a few minutes later and again after that, and I think that's uh, that could be interesting as well. Yeah, that, that's a good suggestion, actually. I was just watching Stage 2 in the 2019 Vuelta. Uh, I think it was in finishing in Calpe, and that was a Stage Quintana one. No massive mountains, but they had a couple of hard climbs uh, with, like, 35 k's to go, and it shattered the race. And it was, like, Roglic, Quintana, and Aru, all in a group. Pogaccio got dropped. There was actual, like, 30-second-plus time gaps. So, yeah, I, I agree. That would work, too. You then see someone like Hirschi maybe attacking. Maybe then it's just Alaphilippe. Um, I guess that was kind of like the knee stage. So you don't mean like the knee stage Alaphilippe one. You mean something a bit like even like steeper than Coldez? That one was a good example. But yeah, if you if you can find climbs that are steeper, uh, that would probably be better. We saw the Vuelta de la Comunitat Valenciana or maybe another race. I can't remember. One of the preseason races, they're like not publishing the profiles because – Sensibly, they don't want people scoping out the route and then being able to attend in person during COVID. Do you, I mean, I'm not sure if you're going to that race exactly, but do you guys still get the profiles sent to you discreetly? I presume they exist somewhere when races do that. Uh, good question. Yeah, Volta Valencia, it actually one of the stages finishes maybe within 20K from where we are right now. Right. Um, because they did announce the start and finish towns, but they did not announce like how we will go there. Uh, the team is racing it. I am not. Um, okay. I actually can find out if you'd like, but it would take me a few minutes. Um, but as far as I know, they have not seen the profiles. Maybe the directors have them, uh, but my, they might be keeping them on wraps. Uh, at the same time, <clears throat> if you don't get the profile of Walter Valencia, I think you can still sleep at night. Where do you think is your best chance of winning um, a big race or a race this season? Uh, for me personally, definitely I need to go long than, longer than last 10Ks. Um, I am uh, I'm pretty solid at repeating hard effort over and over again, but I never can do it super hard. So actually, usually the beginning of the races, I struggle a lot. Um, and then when everyone gets tired, I'm like, oh, now we're even. Now we're at the same <laughs> level and I can actually do something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, same as I won Trevally Verezina, I went uh, with a lap to go and held on. And then guys from the back caught me. And luckily, I was faster than all of all the rest. 
Um, so yeah, if you see me attack uh, within the last 40, 50K, then it might be a good day for me. Thanks very much, Toms, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you making the time during your training camp. I hope you enjoyed that interview. We also have a new addition, which I wish I'd thought of earlier, which is a fan submission for each team, a 30-second segment on what they expect from the season. So here's Ozzolino with his 30-second hot take on what he expects from Trek this year, and he is still very, very unhappy at the treatment of Emil Schleipens by the Koenig Quickstep in the world to last year. Hi, Patrick and Benji. My name is Carlos Wozos. Some of you might know me as Ozolino from Lantern Rouge Discord, and I'm from Latvia. So, my direct Sigifredo predictions for this season. I think Mats Pedersen gonna win a Monument and a Champs-Élysées to the France Sprint. Emil Slipinch gonna take revenge on Sam Bennett for Vuelta Stage 9, where uh, the Koenig Quickstep riders like beat shit out of Lepinch in last kilometer, so fuck you, the Koenig. So yeah, thanks folks, that's all. Give us a like on the YouTube video of this, or let us know if you listen on the podcast players on uh, Twitter, on the Lantern Rouge Fucking Podcast Twitter handle, whether you like this pod, or what other guests you might want to see. Thanks to Benji. Um, I think I think everyone needs to reach out to Benji directly and ask if he's okay. I'm worried about him. The kind of stuff he was saying about Vincenzo Nibali on this podcast, a little bit too real, <laughs> got me a little bit concerned. So I think everyone needs to check if, if he's okay. Uh, so make sure you do that and, and ask why he's abandoned Los Gualo de Messina. Uh, but other than that, we'll see you later. Ciao. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.